0: Good morning. Welcome to Grace. It's good to see everybody as you're coming in. Uh, We will take some time in a moment to do announcements and things, but let me read a silent meditation as we prepare our hearts, and then we'll call ourselves to worship. It is a responsive one today, so please look ahead. I'll read the light print if you'll join with me as a congregation when we do the dark print together. The providence of God reaches to all creatures, so in a very special way, it cares for His church, And disposes all things for its good. We'll be looking at providence today as God protects us. But let me call us to worship. If you would please stand. If you are able, I will read the light print. If you'll join me in reading the bold print together. Oh, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my souls. Amen. You may be seated. And I hope that you had a bulletin as you came in. And that way you can follow along not only in worship, but there are some announcements and some things that are in the back to remind you. You'll also see the prayer requests. And so you are able to take this and continue to pray for our family members that you'll see listed. We try to update those. We don't keep them in there forever. So if you're one of those that all of a sudden a name disappears and you don't know why, please just call us. It just means it's been in there for a while and we'll try to update it. But if not, we'll take it out and then we'll put it right back in if you need it so that we can have things that are up to date as we're praying and reaching out for you as well. Also, one that's not in there, but let me remind those who have been contacted or if you haven't, uh, the Stalnoses tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Nick and Kirsten and them are going to host the young adults at their house. And so the young adults are anyone who feels young and younger. No, I, I, I could tell all the seniors will be there when we get there. Their house will be crawling. What we're talking about is we want to increase it it's more. It's not just college and career. What we're talking about is if you're, if you're a young adult, you're in your 30 or younger, but you don't have to be in college. It doesn't matter if you're married. If you're a young adult, we've had several families come. We have several in college that are at home at times, and so we'd really like to keep a gathering going. It's good for them to be able to pray for each other, get to know each other, and so if you have someone that also fits that description and you want to invite them, just let them know or call Nick. He'll reach out to them, and we can go ahead and invite them. Uh, to that young adult ministry as well. Um, I do want to say thanks for everyone who's helping out. I've had a few questions. I'll just quickly address them as teachers. You're the ones that are responsible. Uh, Someone asked me the big question, why in worship are we sometimes without masks and classes or not? The main reason was distance. When you go to the Sunday school class, um, it's very difficult to keep enough distance and to share. But it is true. It's in the exceptions that if you're in an environment where you're either teaching, sharing, drinking, eating, learning... Um, You can take your mask down to do that. And so teachers, you have to facilitate your classrooms. We're not all in there, but I know it's very difficult if you're sharing to listen to those in masks. And so feel free if you need to take it down to share or if you're drinking and eating. Yes, those are all things. Our main thing is we're just trying to work it out, keep things safe as we go forward and keep everyone comfortable. But number one, I'll reiterate it again. We just want to keep going forward. Let's not let anything be a division amongst us as once again we wrestle through these times together. But we do want you comfortable. So we are trying to not only do it in worship, but in some of the classrooms. If you're uncomfortable in a small room, you're welcome to join me in the fellowship hall. Um, If you'd rather be in another one, let us know, and we will try to work with you any way we can to do that. Um, Other than that, you'll see here that I'd like to call us uh, to a moment of prayer and uh, invite you to pray with me. You'll find the prayer inside the red hymn book on the inside cover the Lord's Prayer if you need it. Um, It's there for you to follow along with us. But let's take just a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that it is your wisdom. It is your providence. It's you who we are following. That, Lord, in times like this, uh, Lord, we find ourselves sometimes confused and frustrated. And uh, Lord, help us to realize once again that it is an honor and a privilege to be able to come into your presence, to be able to worship you. That you alone would even condescend, take on the form of flesh to, to be with us and to save us. And Lord, just help us in the weeks and months ahead, Lord, not just through the pandemic and through all the excitement that goes with it, but Lord, through all the obstacles we face, help us to learn this morning from the psalmist, the importance of trusting in your strength and your providence in our lives more than anything else. The Lord, as we gather together and help one another on our journey, we realize the privilege we have is that we can boldly come to the throne of grace together in your presence because of your son, Jesus Christ. As he's opened that inner sanctum to us, Lord, we can now come and pray together saying, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
1: Amen. I invite you to look with me back at your bulletin where we have the Shorter Catechism. We've got a few questions left. We're going to make it all the way through to question 107. But let me read the question, and then let's respond together. What doth the preface of the Lord's Prayer teach us? The preface of the Lord's Prayer, which is, Our Father which art in heaven, teacheth us to draw near to God with all holy reverence and confidence, as children to a Father, able and ready to help us, and that we should pray with and for others. What do we pray for in the first petition? In the first petition, which is hallowed be thy name, we pray that God would enable us and others to glorify him in all that whereby he maketh himself known and that he would dispose all things to his own glory. I'm going to read now from John 14, 12 through 17 and as you listen, the emphasis is on our love for God and our love for others. So this is God calling us to confess our sins, but listen now to God's word. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And here's really the love section. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So let's confess our sins to the Lord by using the prayer printed for you, printed for us in the bulletin. Lord God, We have given more weight to our successes and our happiness than to your will. We have eaten without a thought for the hungry. We have spoken without an effort to understand others. We have kept silence instead of telling the truth. We have judged others, forgetful that you alone are the judge. We have acted rather in accordance with our opinions than according to your commands. Within your church, we have been slow to practice love of neighbors. And in the world, we have not been your faithful servants. Forgive us and help us to live as disciples of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. And as we come to our Heavenly Father, confessing our sins, we come with confidence, as the Catechism reminded us. So as we've confessed our sins, as we come to our great God in faith, he gives us his promise from Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus was condemned in our place, we are no longer contempt- condemned. Look to him, trust him, be at peace, and be assured that your sins are forgiven as you look to him in faith.
0: I hope you brought your Bibles with you, that you could turn and follow along as we go through the Psalms of Ascent. We're going to begin journeying through there, and as we just sang that, it's a wonderful opportunity, Uh, I told Sarah and them as we worked through. Some of you may not have the new Psalter hymnal. I know the church we came from used the new Psalter hymnal uh, from Trinity, and it gives you an opportunity to actually sing the Psalters as you go through them. And so there are many different ways to sing them, but what a blessing to get an opportunity to just sing Scripture and to know that's what they did when they sang to the Lord. I want to ask you the question as I begin today in Psalm 121, just who are you following? Just who is it that you have fixed your eyes upon in your Christian life? Psalm 121 is where the journey now begins. They have left Jerusalem and they're on this upward climb to be in a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, to make their way back to Jerusalem and to worship. Let me read it. And then I'll give you some intro details and then we'll go through the passage together. Being reminded that this is the journey that many were on together and would sing as they claimed God's truths, claimed his his wonders, and he helped them along. The psalmist writes in chapter 121, I lift my eyes to the hills and from where does my help come? The Lord will keep your going out, your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now, I know there are many translations out there, and I'm going to give you some things in Hebrew today, and maybe your version will follow along better. But I want to expound on this. But first, let me give you again the intro to the psalmist here as he sings out to his help from the Lord. Psalm 121 is almost like this quiet little voice reminding us that we are on a Christian journey and living the Christian life, but we're going about it all wrong. It's that little cry that God has called me to His presence to come and worship Him, and I've been living a life that has been disregarding Him. I call myself one of His children. Back then you could say I called myself an Israelite, but at the same time I was worshiping those things that belonged to things outside the realm of faith. I'm going to call those the things of the mountains, The ESV calls them the hills. You see, once we start following God, we get a whole different perspective on life. We get a whole new look at things that are happening from his perspective rather than ours. I love the book of Revelation when John tells us that we get an inside picture of looking down through heaven rather than looking up through the voice of prophets. If you've never understood the book of Revelation, it's a powerful book that takes us on a journey when John the Revelator actually, as though you're looking up from the earth, you get to see heaven and its, its headquarters, if you wish, from a glass bottom boat. And John is up there giving us glimpses of what is taking place in heaven from God's perspective down rather than the prophetic perspective back up. And as Christians, we have that advantage. We have someone who can tell us why things are happening from his perspective. We know the troubles that we face and the circumstances that we go through may not make sense from our perspective, from how we see things and how they should happen, but we get a chance to know them from God's perspective. Folks, I can only tell you in the last week, I, if anyone, gets more frustrated and concerned about what decisions are gonna be made. Oh, you may wrestle with how it's gonna affect your household or you may affect how it's gonna uh, affect you at work, but I promise you, It's stressful when you think, how does it affect 200 people? How does it affect the activity of all those that come? Those are all the decisions that when we look at it from our perspective, we say, this makes no sense. I'm not going to tell you it does. But I will tell you from God's perspective, I trust that whatever's happening is happening according to His will. So that if I can call on Him for strength and keep my focus right then I find the blessings that go along with being called into his presence. That when he calls me to be closer to him, I don't worry about the trials and the tribulations. I don't have to focus on the circumstances. I don't have to worry about what I'm going to face. I can trust alone in God. The psalmist writes this when he simply says, we need a better focus in where our help comes from. Matthew wrote it this way when Jesus was teaching with the Sermon on the Mount. He said it this way, make sure your focus is right. Jesus said it this way, seek ye first the what? The kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. Folks, if you'll do that, all other things fall into place. It's when your focus becomes something other than God, other than his righteousness, other than seeking his kingdom, that we begin to struggle in this relationship in what's going on around us. Today our focus has been challenged by many things. Years ago it was all about the television. I know it's not gotten any easier. A while it was the computers. Just recently the studies came out that said the average child in elementary school and less spends 3 hours a day on the smartphone. Now how smart is that? Folks, that's the survey that comes out that it shows us. Folks, we've got to focus on things that are upward, things that are to God, the things that are making a difference. It's so easy to get sidetracked in our walk with Christ. I like in the history, if you go back and read about steeples on cathedrals and churches, one of the main points of the whole steeple in coming about was not to make things look beautiful, was not to make sure that yours was better than anybody else or or more aesthetic and pleasing, Steeples were designed to be tall and as tall as possible, taller than the buildings around, tall as they could get. Do you know why? It was to get you to what? To look up. Believe it or not, the steeples were just designed to say, when you enter this place and get close, don't focus on self. Don't focus on the things that are around you. Begin to look up. Begin to get prepared so that you can be in the presence of God. Depend on him so that he can get us through this temporary journey here on earth. And when it's not just our journey on earth, it's this temporary situation we go through constantly. I'm not sure how long it'll last. I'm not sure how long it'll be extended. I'm not sure if it was right or wrong or who's going to be the next one. But I'll tell you this much, don't worry about it. Our focus should not be on what the county does or what the health department does. It shouldn't be focused on what the businesses do. It shouldn't be focused on what the schools do. Do you know what our focus should be on? It should be on his kingdom and his righteousness, and let's not lose focus. The journey is to be brought close to God. The problem of it is for us to be able to do that, we get shocked when we first become Christians and begin this journey because we think everything falls into place. If I'll just start following Christ, I won't have problems. Oh, you could list the things that people think in a false sense changes, when they start following Christ. If I'll just rededicate my life to the Lord, if I'll just get back on track, then my life will be easy. It's as though I will no longer have any debts that I can't pay. Money will just seem to grow on trees and I'll never have worries with finances again. I'll never face stress. There'll be no more temptations. I won't have to worry about wrong decisions. My relationships will all fall right into place and I will be everyone's favorite friend. Most importantly, all of our children will grow up to be the most angelic children of all. No, that's not what happens. We realize it's not about our workplace, that we won't be sick anymore. You see, that's a false sense of assurance. The truth of it is, catch this, write this down, and keep this in your mind. When you join the Christian journey, following Christ is not about the absence of any of these things. It's about the presence of one thing. It's about the presence of God. What changes it is not that everything in your life has to go away, but that the one thing that comes in and changes you is now there to make a difference. If you're trying to walk the Christian life and be on the Christian journey without the presence of God, you're struggling. That's why the psalmist writes, Our feet can slip if you wish, as he says that. They may fail us, they may be moved, they may slide. We go through the Christian life with all these things, but in all these struggles, we look around us, disregarding God and try to find help for those around us. How many of you, not to belabor the point, on Friday at 6 p.m. as my phone rang constantly, I appreciate all of you keeping me up to date. How many of you, when the council made a decision, and things were changed, fell on your knees and said, thank you, Lord, show me the guidance of your will. I'm seeking first the kingdom. I bet that's not what you did. Do you see the problem of it is I'm not harping on you. We all do the same thing. Even your pastor, I say it gently, it's so easy sometimes to turn and say, well, who's going to stand up? Who's going to fix this? Who's going to be the one that goes forward? Who's going to solve this problem? And we start looking to each other. We start looking to those around us, but we never look where? Up. It's as though we go to God when nothing else works. And the psalmist cries out in a great way in which you're going to see that is not the way the Christian life works. The first place you should have turned was where, Lord, show me how this is going to bring me closer to you. Show me how this is going to help me reach others to trust in you. That's where the difference comes. Psalm 120 reminds us that we're counting on God, not ourselves. We've left Meshach. Do you remember that? Psalm 120. We've left Qadar. We've left the places that kept us abandoned and out in the middle of nowhere. And it's some of the most difficult decisions we'll ever make is to leave the worldly life behind. But it's also the most rewarding decision you'll ever make when you let go of the one trapeze and trust that the next one is there to change your life forever. So the psalmist begins to tell us, this journey of faith, it's not taken alone. We all have help. The whole point of the Psalms of Ascent was that people journeyed together. They left alone. They traveled alone. They, They bunked together. They may have traveled steps by themselves, but they journeyed back together. They met up on the rocks. They helped each other through the hills. They sang the same songs together, ate the same food. They had authentic help from one another. Do you get the picture? The Christian life is not a journey alone. The psalmist cries out and he says, you're not designed to make it by yourself. You're designed to have authentic help, to have the brother or sister in church come alongside you, to help you when you're hungry, to feed you when you can't, to help you with repairs, to encourage you when you're down, to support one another in time of need. That's the whole point of ascent, is that we can climb this life together and support one another. The problem? Before long, we trust in one another more than we trust in who, in God. The whole point of Psalm 121 is that we need to find and determine where our help really comes from. Is your help coming from fellow sojourners here on earth in the Christian life? Is it coming from the investments that you've made and that's what you're relying upon? Is it coming from the security that you finally purchased your one home that's known is always gonna be yours? Or is it the best friend that walks alongside of you? Yes, they are all important. But none of them should replace your focus to looking to God first. Yes, I love my children. They're my favorite children. I love my spouse. She's my favorite spouse. And I remember the time I nicknamed her wife. And if you ever hear me say that, it's not derogatory. We were having names one time, and I just called her wife. And someone said, you are so mean. Why do you call her wife? Do you know what my answer was? No one else in the world can ever call her that. Oh, it's not meant to be derogatory, but folks, even my wife cannot supplant my need for God. My children cannot take the place of God. Neither can yours. You've got to focus on Him. I remember a quick story years ago shared by my brother-in-law when His uncle was on the farm out doing wheat in Kansas, where we have family and where we live. And he was working on a forklift, and the forklift fell off the part that attaches to the tractor, stabbed him in his leg, in his main artery, and he began to bleed to death right there in the fields. It barely saved his life. They rushed him to a nearby place out in the middle of Kansas. There's not a lot of hospitals that you run to. So they bandaged him up and they got him together. You know what the biggest concern was? They were about a week from harvest. The one thing that would feed his family, care for his home, provide for his future needs, in the one time he needed to be able to work and be in the fields. I asked Dwayne, talking to us about Dwayne, what will happen? And he said, Jerry, F usual, goes on, he said, when someone's hurt and can't do harvest, all the farmers in the region bring their own combines and their trucks. And on one day, they harvest the entire field of that farmer as fast as they can so that their farm all gets put up, their wheat, and then we go do our farms. Isn't that amazing? Authentic help, that people would actually put others first to make sure their lives are taken care of and then trust their life would be the same. I ask you this morning, are you thinking of others? Are you following your friends? Are you following your pastor? Who is it that you're following this morning? The psalmist takes us on this journey, and I have to be able to share it with you and let you know that there's no way to replace the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So listen to how he says this. What is it about providence? Who are you following? Let's go on a journey as we work through these verses about what the psalmist actually says and and write this down. It's all about the providence of God. That's what this psalm is all about. Let me take you on a journey through it. It begins in verses 1 and 2. This is the part we talk about his provisions. How is it that the maker of heaven and earth is different from all the others? You must understand the writing. Listen to what he says. I lift my eyes to the hills or the mountains, and from where does my help come? Folks, that's the end of the thought right there. In Hebrew, it's two separate thoughts. In English, we put it together as one. And we read it something like this. I look to the mountains for help, and you know where my help comes from? It comes from God. As if God was in the mountains, serving and living in the hills, and that's why we look to the hills. And that's not what it says in Hebrew. It's two complete separate thoughts. Here's what the writer actually says, if I can paraphrase it. Just like the rest of you who look to the hills for your help, do you know where my help comes from? And then he answers the thought. What does he say? My help doesn't come from the hills and the mountains. My help comes from who? From God. It changes the entire passage when you understand the thought. The writer is saying to us and the psalmist cries out, I'm not looking to the hills for the answers because do you know what's happening in the hills? Do you understand the context of what's going on? Everybody else is looking to the mountains, why? Why do you think these people would look to those? Because in the Old Testament we know the story is true. It's in the hills. That the towers, that the altars, that the shrines, where you find the moon goddess and the sun gods. It's where you go for divination or necromancy to bring back the dead. It was in the hills that people worshipped far away from the place that God had called them. So they could do their own things, worship their own creations and the images that they've made. It was the place that they set up the Asherah, which were the female gods, or the Baals, the male gods. And as you read through this in Canaanite worship, you realize... That as they journeyed back to Jerusalem, most people who were going to worship God were still calling on all these false gods to help them on their journey to be with God. You're a Christian. God's called you to journey with him. Are you trusting in him or are you trusting in all the things of the world as you continue to say you rely on those things, yet you claim to belong to God? The psalmist immediately says, oh, I've left Kedar, I've left Meshach, I've left that abandoned place. I'm tired of being away from God. And as I journey back through these hills, where does my help come from? It doesn't come from the hills. It comes from who? The maker of heaven and earth. That's how he takes us on the journey. So now all of a sudden we realize the importance of the mountain scenery. The help doesn't come from that which was created. It comes from the creator. I grew up near Manitou Springs, right down the street, Garden of the Gods. We journeyed most of our life up into the hills. We liked to go down to Manitou, eat the saltwater taffy, put our feet in the creek, climb around on the rocks, run from the park rangers, whatever we could do back then as kids to have fun in the mountains. But I can honestly tell you, even today, if you were to go back and visit the little tourist town right outside Colorado Springs, you find that the farther up you go in the mountains, the little more suspicious it gets. You see, it's at the foot of the mountain where the city is that we all gathered and had fun and did the tours and the shopping and the games and the activities and had all the fun. But as you journeyed up the cogway or go up the rail cars to the top or you would take the side roads up to the Cave of the Winds and you journey up into the mountains, I promise you one thing. You would find these little places as you were out hiking that you would wonder what happened here. You would find places where you could see things had been sacrificed. You would find statues of things. You would find even crosses that were placed up on things. And you began to realize what takes place in these hills. And that's exactly what the psalmist writes about. Oh, the mountains are beautiful, wonderful place to be. Don't hear me say, shun the mountains. But don't you turn to those for your help. Don't turn to the creation, turn to the what? The creator. He is the one that provides for us. Psalm 115 makes it clear about the gods that come from the mountains. If you want to go back and look at that later and read it, Psalm 115 simply says these. The idols that were in the mountains, he said they had eyes but could not what? And they had ears but could not what? They even had hands but could not what? Help. That's what the psalmist is crying out to. I look to the hills, and where does my help come from? It doesn't come there. It comes from the maker of heaven and earth. There's a big difference Maybe you have your own mountain getaway. Maybe you have a beach getaway, a favorite vacation spot, a place you go for entertainment. All these are wonderful places to relieve your stress, but none of them replace what God has for you. And none of them are enough. Do you know how I know that? Because when you vacation, you do it over and over and over again. When you have that place in the mountains, you visit it over and over and over again. It's the beach every spring, summer. You can't get enough of it because, folks, the help is not in the hills. It's not found in the water or the depths of the ocean. It's not in the entertainment and the things that you're watching. Your help comes from the Lord. And so the psalmist begins to write us and says the Hebrew word shema right here, which is translated, the same word translated all these different ways of to be preserved, to be kept, to be watched, to be guarded. Does your getaway do that? Oh, it may relieve your stress, but does it keep you in the Lord? Does it preserve your walk in faith? Does it watch over you so that you don't slip? Does it guard you from the evil that comes? See, sometimes we turn to the things of the world to find our peace, and we realize we never find it there. The psalmist cries out, where does my help come? It comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word that we get here is ezer. It's an amazing word. It's uh, talking about our help. Our help comes from the Lord. Do you know what kind of help that is? The Hebrew word is the same word that is used. Let me explain this to you. It is the exact same word that when God created Adam and Eve, he created Adam and said there was no what? Azer. There was no suitable helper. There was no one that could give Adam what Adam needed. There was no one who could go alongside Adam and help him with what he needed to do. There was no one there to be the companion. There was no one there to bring him the comfort. He needed something other than the apples on the trees and the figs on the bushes. He needed something other than the animals. He needed something to help him in his environment. There was no suitable helper. And the psalmist cries out and he says, I look to the mountains, but the only suitable helper I'll find is the maker of heaven and earth. He's the only one that can give you what you need, provide what it is you need, and be with you on your journey all the way. The psalmist cries out and simply says, in your journey of faith, stop looking to others and make a choice of just who it is you're going to follow because only God provides. He takes us further in verse 3 and 4 when he simply says this. He will not let your foot be moved. You can circle that word and write slip. It's about one who slips down. It's important to understand that as it's in relation to the Old Testament. Because it's not only the one who says we, our foot be moved, but he also keeps you and he will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor what? sleep. Keep in mind, again, we're comparing God to all these false gods, all these idols, all this worship that takes place in a worldly aspect rather than in following God, your relationship with Him. The most important aspect of climbing, if you've ever done this in rock climbing, is to have a strong foothold. You can be as strong as you want with your hands, but there comes a point where you need your foot on solid ground. You need to have a place to be able to push up and rest. You need to have a place that you can find security, That word slip that I tell you, circle it in your Bibles for not be moved, is the same word that is used back in Deuteronomy 32 when the uh, writer cries out and says, for those of us who slip and find judgment in God. What he's talking about is the person who has slipped from God, the person who is not with God, the person who is climbing on their own, the person who doesn't have a foothold. He's talking about the one who is trying to climb and do this life by themselves. And when their foot slips, they fall. And judgment is for sure. We know very few people that have fallen from the heights of the Garden of the Gods that hit the bottom and bounced right back up where they were. But for some reason, we think in our Christian walk, we can fall as far as we need and bounce right back up where we are. The psalmist cries out to us. He's writing to us. Underneath as he's praising, these uh, opportunities he has for God. And he simply says, listen, my God is different. My God is one who keeps us from slipping. He keeps us not from the mistakes, not from the sins, not from the times we falter. He keeps us from the judgment if we were to fall down. In other words, when you slip in life, there's someone who's going to catch you. When you fall down and make a wrong, there's someone who's going to hold you. Why He isn't just the one who provides. Write this down. Providence means he's also the one who's always present. The other gods couldn't follow along with them. You had to change gods as you journeyed farther along. Some of you may not understand the Japanese philosophy of religions. They're called kamis. Some of you would understand that. It's a word that came about years ago in the wartime when we had a pilots that would give up their lives in order to find a pleasing result for the life that was afterward. And so pilots would take their own lives and shoot down at ships, and rather than trying to fire weapons of any kind, they would simply turn their airplanes into what? And they would call them what? Kamikazes, to please the local gods. You see, the Kamis are the local gods all throughout Japan. Because if you do something wrong with one God, you've got to move. You've got to find a new home. You've got to translate to another place because you've got to pick another God who's now going to be faithful to you because this God's going to let you go. This God's going to be mad. He's not going to hold you up. And so the commies were multiple and thousands so that you could choose the commie that you needed in order to protect your life. The psalmist writes and he says, but listen, my God won't let you slip because he doesn't slumber And nor does he sleep. You see, the gods of these hills or these eastern religions, you could call them the Canaanites, the religions that were there. The problem they had is that their gods sometimes needed to be awakened. We know that's true. How do we know that? Do you remember the story of Elijah? Yeah, you all know what it is. Do you see, folks, it all makes sense and why the psalmist could cry out and why he says, I don't want the gods that are in the hills? I want the God who's different. I want the God who provides for me. I want the God who's present with me no matter where I go, that when I slip, he can hold me, that when I'm about to fall, he's grabbed me, that when I'm scared, he can bring comfort. When I feel alone, he can now care for me then. Whatever it is I need, my God is with me. He's present. Elijah mocked the Canaanite gods, if you remember. I'll let you read the story in 1 Kings 18. But as they challenged their gods, remember he simply says, look, you build your altar and I'll build mine. If this is how you want to do this, you call upon your gods and I'll call upon mine. I'll, I'll even let you go first. So they put it up there and called on their god. Do you remember what Elijah said? He uses the same words. He's waiting, kind of like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay now, you know, doing these funny things. I'm sure they had some kind of watch, right? back then that he could look at, a sundial. And finally, he looks at him and he said this, maybe your God is slumbering and you need to wake him up. That's why the psalmist cries out, my God never sleeps. He never slumbers. The word that we get for slumber in Hebrew is is the one who's drowsy, numb. It's a good way to remember the Hebrew word because it looks like numb. The person who is numb is the one who is drowsy. They're the one that's doing this number all the time. Have you ever done that before? especially when you're driving, right? You've done that, I know, and your heart starts to race because you know you shouldn't be doing that. That's the word he's using to describe the gods of the hills. They're slumbering. They're up there dozing off on you. It's the same word translated into the Greek New Testament from the old, the statuagem, that they used for the words when the disciples went upon the hills with Jesus and he told them to keep watch. And you know what they did? They slumbered, if you were to use the Hebrew word. They slumbered. They began to get drowsy and to doze off and not pay attention. They weren't aware of what was going on. That's what happens when you trust in anyone that's not able to go with you wherever you go. That's why he writes this. He will not let your uh, foot be moved and he behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. It's the same difference that when we take our eyes off of God of what happens. It's his presence that matters most. He's the one that holds us. He's the one that has our strength. It's no different in the New Testament. Let me give you a a New Testament example of what the psalmist cries out for the one who is rock climbing in the hills and slips. If their focus is on God, the maker of heaven and earth, they're safe, they're held up, and they continue their journey. Where do we get that in the New Testament? It's the story of Jesus walking on water. It's the story when Jesus is on the water and one of the faithful disciples who claims to be one who would never forsake him, never deny him, never go against him. The best of all the disciples wants to be the greatest in the kingdom as he goes forth. Do you remember who I'm talking about? Peter. And do you remember what Peter does of all the disciples? He kind of jumps up in the boat and he's kind of like, hey, guys, I got this. Don't worry. Hey, Jesus, call me to come to you. So Jesus says, well, come on, Peter. Come on. Do you remember what he did? What did he do? Come on, help me. He jumped out of the boat. Oh, and now he's cocky. I, I could live this story up if you guys want me to, but I won't waste your time. He's probably thinking things like this. Oh, yeah, guys, look at this. I'm on top of the water in the Red Sea. It had to be parted. They had to walk on ground, but I'm on the top. I'm better than they are. He just started living it up again. Lord, I'm yours. I'm always... And then when he realized he's walking on water, what did he do? He started... Well, I think he did this. You guys see this? He wanted to show it off. He wanted to, this is me. I am on water. And the moment he took his eyes off the Lord, what happened? He started going to the bottom. It's that same way that Jesus picked him up and set him on the water and said, Keep your eyes on what? Me. That's the same text. Those are the same analogies that we get from Hebrew to Greek in the Septuagint for those of us who trust in the presence of God. Folks, let me give you this truth. It wasn't the water holding Peter up. Please understand that. When our eyes are on God and he is in us, with us, by us, and our presence, we can do the miraculous and the supernatural because we're doing it in his strength while he holds us. Oh, Peter was not walking on water. He was high on Jesus. And then when he took his eyes off of Jesus, it ended. I'm not sure who you're focusing on. I'm not sure who you call upon in your presence. But it goes something like this. The type of help that we need is the type of help that comes quickly. It's the type of help that is there immediately. And so, when all of a sudden we talk about this help, we realize that in today's modern society, it's no different than when we use the word this Hey Siri. Hey Google. We just expect what? Immediate assistance to help us in time of need. It's amazing when someone says, Man, I don't know what happened. The next time, instead of saying, Hey Siri, say, Hey Yahweh. Hey Yahweh. He may not answer as fast. He may call you to prayer. He may not give you the answer you want. But he's going to draw you closer to him. Because he's the one that you're leaning on. It's not only his provisions that he gives you in his presence. But listen, this is amazing. Look at verses 5 and following. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you. These are all things we need to understand. Not only is he your provision and in your presence, but catch this, providence means he protects you. This is the most important part of the Christian life. It's not the things we get that matter most. It's being protected till the end. I can go through struggles in life as long as I know I'm gonna be with Jesus. I can go through the hard times in life as long as I know I'm gonna be with him. I'm willing to go through whatever I have to go through as long as I'm gonna be with him. The point of the providential care of God is to be protected. And all of a sudden we realize this. Listen to the words he uses from the sun and from the moon. Why in the world does this matter? Keep in mind the context. It's on these long journeys back to Jerusalem in the dead heat of the sun in which the sun God was called upon. Because you would get dehydrated. You would get delirious. You would get what we would call sunstroke you would start to lose your mind and to lose your way. And they would pray that the sun god would just take the sun and hide it so that we could go on. The problem was that the war was going on between the sun god and the moon god, if you can believe that. And so the sun god would run and hide, but then the moon god would come, and he would have to deliver you because you didn't want to be moonstruck. That's the word that would be equivalent You see, the moon would come out at night. It was the time that they believed that that's what caused seizures. It was the long travels with this light little bit of uh, moonlight that you were given that on your journey you would start to get tired and delirious. And we've used the word to say if you're moonstruck about something, you're crazy about something. Well, isn't this amazing that they would believe that if you weren't careful, you would call upon the moon goddesses to help because you didn't want to get moonstruck? In our own English language, for moon is lunar. And when your moon struck, you know what they call it? Lunatic. It's the same thing. They would pray out, I I need help from this. I don't need the sun God and I don't need the moon God. But I have a God who keeps me from going crazy. Who keeps me from losing my mind. Who keeps me on the right path. Who keeps me going in the direction I need. Because all of us have our times in which we lose our mind. We call them temper tantrums. We don't get what God wants, or we, go, we don't get what we want from God, and so we throw a little temper tantrum. And I was sharing with Stacey day, I couldn't remember where. It's been years ago, and it could, I couldn't help but to think about this. The most amazing thing about serving the maker of heaven and earth is that even when you're throwing a temper tantrum, God still protects you. Even when you're, you're going delirious, even when you've been struck out and you're dehydrated, you don't know where you're going. You have a God that provides for you. His presence never leaves you, and he always protects you during your tantrums. That's why he serves the maker of heaven and earth. Now listen to this. We were in Novi, Michigan, we believe it was. I could be wrong. We were trying to think back years ago, the mall. We were going through the mall and because Aaron was little, and there was this little boy throwing a temper tantrum. And one of the, the mother of this little boy took a mop sign, a little yellow mop sign that opens up that says "wet floor," and her sign said, "Careful, tantrum in progress." And she set it out there in the mall. I'm not kidding you. Stacy will tell you. She'll tell you the story. It changed the entire environment because now everyone in the in the, the mall walking by wasn't worried about what the, they wanted to see. What that boy was doing, like, okay, what, what, what's in progress here? But the amazing part of the story was. How did mom still protect and still allow this tantrum and yet keep things from harming? And I couldn't help but to think, folks, when we have our own tantrums here on earth and we're not getting the things we want and it's not going our way and we're going to cry about all the things that are going on around us and it's just not right and it's just not going to be right and we're having our little spiritual tantrum here on earth, do you know what God does? He just kind of puts the Holy Spirit out there with a sign that says, Tantrum in progress. And he still protects you he never stops caring even when you're not acting right that's why the psalmist says i don't want the help from the hills it's a whole separate thought my help comes from the maker of heaven and earth so when you don't get what you want and you throw that tantrum just know god still loves still cares how do i know that He demonstrated his love for me while I was what? A sinner. He never stops protecting. Look at verses 7 and 8 when he says it this way. Not only is it the sun gods and the things in the hills, but he goes farther. He says it this way. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He's not saying he's going to keep you from slipping. He's not saying he's going to keep you from every little detail in life. He's going to keep the evil from you. He will keep, I like how he says this, your life. That's important to realize because, folks, in the mountains, things that weren't taken care of, our God does. Do you know God is in the history of taking care of things on mountains? Have you ever done that little search? Isn't that amazing? Just real quick in your mind, think of all the mountains that go on. I could give them to you quickly. How does God protect us from the teachings on the mountains? It goes back to Mount Moriah, first of all, when Isaac was being offered by his father. And God provides a ram and protects Isaac and saves his life so that he could go on. So it's there on the mountains that he does that. How about Mount Sinai? When God protects with Moses, who goes up in his face chains, he sends us down the law so that the people can be protected from their disobedience and judgment. God knows how to protect the people. How about Mount Calvary? Do you know that one? Do you remember where that was? The place where Jesus died on the cross, where he protected us from hell because he covered our sins so that we wouldn't get what we deserved? Well, maybe you don't remember that one, but what about Mount Olives? The place he ascended to be with the Father, and he would send us the Holy Spirit to protect us the rest of our lives. You may not even realize this, but many scholars believe it was halfway up the mountains on the island of Patmos in the caves of the Revelator, in which they believe John sat when he received the revelation, in which he said he saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down so that he could find a new hope in the future. Isn't it amazing? I'll tell you why the psalmist says, my help comes from the Lord, because from Genesis to Revelation, He was the God of the maker of heaven and earth that actually provided on the mountains, not all the false worldly gods. The psalmist challenges you this morning. Don't look to the mountains. Look to the maker of heaven and earth. Trust in his provisions. Enjoy his presence. Know that he's going to protect you. Romans 8, we shared in our confessions, there is nothing in all the world that can separate you from Christ. That's what the psalmist means when he says he will keep your life. I'll tell you this, how long is eternal life? Forever. I bet you the psalmist would have cried out with ecstasy if he would have known the New Testament, if he could have looked forward to see the Messiah that he waited for, if he could have just seen God's answer to all that they waited for. I bet you the psalmist here would have been screaming with joy if he could have read Jesus' prayer. In John 17, the high priestly prayer. Do you remember that? It was Jesus when he prays to the Father. And as the psalmist cries out and says, I know it's my God that protects me. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, Father, this is John chapter 17, verse 6. I lost none of the ones that you have given me. I've protected them all. A little bit later in the story, he even says this in the prayer verse in chapter 17 down and about verse 15, he says this, "Lord, I ask not that you take them out of the world. I ask that you protect them from the evil one." The psalmist cries out, and he could have said, "Jesus, you've answered my prayer. Your God has provided for me. I don't need the gods of the hills." I want to serve the maker of heaven and earth. The psalmist knows the truth. The one who created us from nothing is the same one who protects us from everything. Oh, I challenge you this morning and ask you the question, just who are you following? Because it's only the maker of heaven and earth that the psalmist says will have all your provisions will always remain in your presence and will always be there to protect you. That's why we believe in the providence of God. Look to God. Look beyond the hills and look to Jesus Christ. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for becoming one with us. Thank you for becoming the flesh. Thank you for taking all of our sins. Father, thank you for being willing to condescend to be amongst us that we could behold your glory. Father, here this morning as we're challenged with the question, just who is it that we're following? Lord, we repent that we have followed too long those here in the world. We have followed too long the guidance of those with worldly counsel and knowledge. We have followed too long the gods and the images that we ourselves have created. We followed too long even the things that you've given us. When, Lord, we need to be following you. Father, forgive us, cleanse us, and pick us up from where we've slid. Keep us from judgment. Place us back up on top and help us get to you. We want you to have the praise and the glory and we want to worship you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Let me give you the benediction from 2 Thessalonians. Let me read it. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope to encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And all God's children said Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.